verses 1 through 11, a great place to start. So let's go to God in prayer this morning and center ourselves for the Word this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we come this morning, as we gather together, as we seek your will and your guidance for our lives in rebuilding, for our church in rebuilding, then I would just pray that you would add your blessing to the words you've given me through Nehemiah, through the Nehemiah Code book by O.S. Hawkins, through other materials that have gathered together, and most of all through your spirit, simply speak to us with a word maybe I didn't even say or a place that I didn't even go, but our hearts needed to go. To pour into these words, may they be acceptable and pleasing to you. And may they speak to all of us. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask and pray. And the people of God, both here and at home, said, Amen. Those successful in rebuilding their life or building a legacy have one thing in common. They get started right. That's how O.S. Hawkins says the first thing in the Nehemiah Code. Which actually I'm really enjoying and finding there's so much in common what we're going through and continues to be in our lives. And he continues on, he says, there is a real sense in which rebuilding something is often a bigger challenge than building something from scratch. And that is where we certainly are now in our lives and in our church community. If you've ever rebuilt something, you know that is true. Because honestly, it is simply easier to walk away and start over than to invest the effort and energy needed for rebuilding. So if we're going to be successful in rebuilding, it's essential that we get started right. Because that is the hardest part, to take that first step. But we're blessed, because if you didn't know it, Nehemiah was an expert on getting started right. See, for decades the Jews had seen the need to rebuild the broken wall and the burned gates of Jerusalem. Some had even tried and then faltered and failed because of the sheer volume of the task. Have you ever taken on a task that just looked to be so big, like cleaning your house somewhere or cleaning out a room or taking care of something, and it's just so big that you just don't know how to start, so you just don't do it? It's just too big. But Nehemiah, a simple civil servant, came there and in less than two months accomplished the same task in Jerusalem. Two months. Less than two months. And it was all because he got started right. So in the first chapter, basically Nehemiah outlines for us four steps to getting started in our rebuilding process. 
He says, rebuilders get started right by, first, making an honest evaluation, second, identifying with the need, third, taking personal responsibility, and fourth, moving out of their comfort zones. And OS says, those principles work no matter what you're seeking to rebuild in your life, though I'm focused a lot on church. There may be something in your life you need to rebuild. I'm sure that there is something in your life you need to rebuild after all we've been through the last six months. I mean, have you been struck by the COVID-19? I don't mean the virus. I mean the 19 pounds that we have gained. I mean, I have. I weighed 221. I have never weighed 221 in my life. I was shocked when I saw that. It got my attention. I've never been a big exerciser, but through portion control and I guess the level of exercise that I used to have when I was moving about all the time, I guess it was enough. Not now. You count your steps on your watch or whatever else, I bet you find pretty quickly those steps aren't nearly the same as they used to be. And whether you want to lose weight or start an exercise program or rebuild a broken relationship, we all know that the hardest part of any of those challenges is getting started. Amen? So Nehemiah dedicates the start of his book with getting started with the rebuilding task. And the tagline of OS's book, The Nehemiah Code, is it is never too late for a new beginning. Say that with me. It's never too late for a new beginning. Say it again. It's never too late for a new beginning. It's never too late for a new beginning. It's a phrase I want for us to say again and again to ourselves as everything just keeps changing and emblazon it on our hearts almost as a new mission statement as we rebuild. So starting in Nehemiah 1, the first step to getting started right in rebuilding is make an honest evaluation. Say that with me. Make an honest evaluation. You see, Nehemiah opens with the news of a report he received from far away in Jerusalem. Verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, came with some other men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. You see, he had heard of someone who had returned, and he wanted to know how the Jewish people were, and what was the condition of the city itself. The report was not what he had hoped to hear. Verse 3, Those in the province who survived the captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall around Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah knew to get started right. His first step was to make an honest evaluation. Although some of the Jews had returned to their homeland and the temple was in place, there was only a veneer of normalcy. Does that sound familiar to anyone today? The walls of the city were still broken down. From the destruction years earlier when Babylon had conquered them 
And the gates were still unhinged, burning with fire. And the people dishonored God with the neglect of their religious life and lifestyles. And they were in deep distress, one translation says. So the first thing they had to rebuild is the broken wall. Of the, or the city would never be safe or secure for those who lived there. And the second, as long as there were no gates, enemies would easily get in. And if we're honest, this is probably where we fail in the rebuilding process, most of us. We fail because we don't take enough time to make a thorough and careful analysis of our circumstances and situation before we just move forward. For some of us, that may be because it's hard admitting our own need or admitting that some of our own walls are actually broken while we're trying to rebuild other walls and some of our own gates are burned. Some of us know that when we wait too long to go to the doctor to get an honest evaluation, it may be too late. We've heard stories like that and I was thankful for Harold's story where he actually went right away after something happened. What if he had not gone? What if he had just stayed at home and thought, well, I'll get over this nausea and this bad feeling for a couple more days? What would have happened? You know, many of us put off all those things. We don't make an honest evaluation. Or we go completely through and just move forward really quickly without preparing ourselves for what lies ahead. The same can be said for our relationships or anything else we're trying to rebuild. OS says that there actually are three approaches people take to rebuilding their life. One way is superficial optimists. The second way is the busy optimists. And finally, there are the honest optimists. Just hearing those words, which one might you be, superficial, busy, or honest? That's going to be one of the things we talk about this week, during the week. The second step in getting started right is identifying with the need. Say that with me. Identifying with the need. You see, when Nehemiah heard the report from Jerusalem and made an honest evaluation of the wall and the gates, he became passionate. This is what he says in verse 4. When I heard this news, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He wept. He mourned. He fasted. He prayed. This was not a far-off problem in a land far away for Nehemiah. This was personal. And here in your life and here in the life of the church where I spend most of my life and many of the staff do, it's personal. Many of our lives are intertwined, blood and soul with Good Shepherd. This isn't a building to us. It's a place where people gather together to love God and to share God and to serve God. So it's personal to us when we're not able to gather when we have to gather in limited ways, when we see all the things that are happening, it's personal. Not just a job or somewhere over there. 
And these last months have not only left me weeping at times, and many of our staff, but also angry, frustrated, fearful, struggling, trying to keep the church going and moving forward, but also mourning. Mourning the loss of sitting in a Monday staff meeting every week where they gather together for two to three hours talking about you and about us and knowing we will never be able to go back to what we were. There is a mourning. There is a brokenness that we have to acknowledge. And that great language of lament we talked about and loss about a month ago, I guess or so, and the things are never going to be the same again. Well, after the cases drop, no, it won't. Well, after the vaccine comes, no, it won't. Church and our lives will never be the same again. It will be good. We will find new ways to adapt and to cope, but it will never be the same. And we surely like the same, don't we? Amen? We want things to be the same. And we have to mourn that. And eventually we have to be able to move on. And for some, that will be easier than others because we're all created differently. And for some, that will not be at all. They are unable to move on. You see, the wall is broken and the gates are burned. We can't build them back like they were. We have to build them like they are. We have to rebuild them from some of the same stones perhaps that the originals stood with, but we'll still have to rebuild them with new stones and new ideas and new ways of doing things. We have to rebuild them like they are now, not like they were or we want them to be. See? But I want you to notice something about Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do first when he heard the news? He sat down. He simply sat down. He didn't rush into his task. He put everything else aside and considered the matter. Jesus said something similar. Who among you doesn't count the cost before he builds? And then O.S. says something that struck home to me. He says, The more I have studied the process of rebuilding, the more convinced I have become that one never rebuilds until he or she personally identifies with the need and weeps over the ruins. We have to be able to weep over the ruins before we can rebuild. And that's hard. And Nehemiah did what all godly leaders must do. He drew strength from outside himself, from his Lord. He identified with those in need and he lived daily with his burden for four months. I can tell you, over the last six months, I have not lived like Nehemiah. I have struggled to keep it all together and to get strength from the outside to come in. The staff is weary and worn. You are too. 
It has been hard some days, like Scott said last week, to pray. And some days it comes right away. Some days I'm uplifted, and some days I'm, I'm down in the bottom of the valley and never want to come out. Some days I want to quit and call it an even and say, you know what? I'm done with ministry. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want. And then I realized, looking at Nehemiah's life and his story, that if we're ever going to be able to overcome the things that are in front of us, we're going to have to draw our strength from outside of ourselves. But only God can give us the strength to do what is ahead of us. As individuals, as families, as churches. For, for six months, a small group of volunteers and staff have carried the weight of this church to make it all so everybody can sit at home and to do everything. Less than 20. They have run the in-person things that are happening here. They have run behind the scenes. Davis has spent countless hours trying to figure out how to make worship look like it does for you at home. The praise team has adapted. The camera guy who sits back there and makes all those shots for you and changes those things over has been here every single Sunday. We're tired. We've put the rocks back together the best that we could of the original wall. But we can't keep that up forever without help. And the things that we do, sometimes you don't respond to very well. Stephanie posts videos for the kids and I see less than a half dozen who watch them. We put things out there that we want you to help us with and things that we do and some respond and some don't. And some of us don't even bother to say anything at all. It's frustrating. And we know you're frustrated too. There's plenty of frustration to go around, but I just can't tell you. I think you don't understand how it works on our side in the church in that black box you don't know about. We have to build this back together and we have to be passionate about it. Because OS asks, what's your passion index for whatever you're trying to rebuild in your family, in your world, in your school, in your church, in your life? What is your passion index? Because without a passion for your rebuilding project, you'll most likely never see your goal accomplished. It's not enough to be honest about your need if you don't identify with it passionately. And honestly, I identify too passionately with it sometimes. I get too upset. I want too much. I expect us to be able to do more than we really can do. It's how I'm wired. You see, I and, and we are passionate about this church, not just online things there, but this actual place. We're passionate about the space. We're passionate about the people who gather together. We are passionate about restoring and rebuilding and bringing back together in every way and putting one brick upon one brick and starting it back and not just sitting back and waiting till it's all over. We're passionate about that. And without this mourning and this passion, the whole process of rebuilding will just be another layer of burden on top of our already broken dreams. We have to mourn and we have to have passion for moving forward. So rebuilders get started right by making an honest evaluation. 
which leads to a personal identification with the need and with those around them. And then the third step is rebuilders take personal responsibility. Say that with me. Take personal responsibility. There is a a long passage of prayer from verse 5 through 11 where Nehemiah takes personal responsibility for rebuilding. Nehemiah could have approached the process of rebuilding Jerusalem by pointing fingers of accusation at those who created his current situation. If Nebuchadnezzar had not invaded Jerusalem and burned it and taken all the captives to Babylon or the returning remnant had rebuilt the gates and the wall already... If corona hadn't happened, I would still be in church and wouldn't have to watch online or gather with my small or large group over Zoom. If COVID-19 hadn't happened, I hadn't increased, my kids would be able to go to school normally. If everyone just wore a mask or everyone just wouldn't believe the media telling us or if the governor or the mayor or the president or the church would just do this, then things would be different. There is lots of blame to go around. Nehemiah had a lot of people to blame for all the current problems, and rightly so. He could have blamed all the past kings of Judah and their falling away from God, resulting in the devastating of their people, their temple, their city. We can blame all the nighttime people, many out-of-towners on lower broad for everything that is going on. There's lots of blame to go around. But Nehemiah knew something really important that we need to know now. He was wise enough to know the blame game never gets the task of rebuilding completed. He refused to direct the blame to others and instead stepped up to take personal responsibility himself. You see, too many people fall into the trap of blaming their present problems on the wrong decisions made by others in the past. But falling into this trap, OS says, never leads to moving forward with actually accomplishing our own tasks. Nehemiah ultimately had one goal, getting the wall rebuilt. And he was laser-focused on getting that one task started right. Seven years ago, when we came here, we had one task above all else. Get ourselves out of debt and get stable. The one task, the one thing everybody could agree on and be bound by was that one thing. There was plenty of blame to go around to the pastors before, to finance committees, to building committees, to districts, to conference, to everywhere. And people said plenty of that to me. And I always said the same thing. It doesn't matter how we got here. It matters how we're going to get out of it. Laser focused on one task. You see, Nehemiah confessed to God the sins of the people of Israel. He says, I confess the sins of the people of Israel, which we have committed against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have wronged you greatly. Notice the plural pronoun, we. We have wronged you greatly. For Nehemiah, it was not, it was a we, not a they. They have wronged you greatly. 
Look what all they did in the past to make it so it was bad for us. We. We. We are in this together. We are in this together. You see, true true rebuilders have to identify with the fear and the failures around them. They have to identify with those things. I don't know your fears. I don't know your failures. I, I get on Zoom calls and I hear things and, you know, I'm mad as a hornet sometimes about things that we're not doing and we're not following through with. And then I listen to the stories and then, honestly, I open up and go, oh my gosh, I don't even know the depth of how everybody is dealing with this individually in their own family, in their own life. There's a mask that we actually got from the Holderness family we like to watch. It says, I am doing the best that I can. But you see, for a long time, we've allowed the church to be the one responsible for fixing our spiritual lives. To worship on Sunday in an hour, we're going to get everything we need to be able to gain sustenance and gain ourselves a Christian perspective. For teaching our kids about Jesus like it was our job to make sure that your kids and our kids were taught about Jesus. For being the sole place that we explore our religious life on a Wednesday night or some other time. You see, for years, not only this building, but many buildings have been the babysitters of the faith. A place you come to and just plug in and get what it is that you get. All of that is shattered. All of that no longer exists. And now it's easy to blame the church for all our broken walls, our lack of attention to Jesus. Well, if I just could go back to church, then everything would be all right. We also blame the church for, I don't know how to do any of that, or I don't want to learn anything new, or I can't. I am zoomed out. I won't do any group if I can't be in person. I won't come to worship if I have to wear a mask or sit apart from people. I have heard all of these things from every corner, from every place, again and again and again. And I get it. I've learned things during this time that I don't want to learn. I wear a mask when I don't want to wear a mask for you. I'm zoomed out, but I'm still on the call. I get it. Sometimes you do things for others that you wouldn't do. No doubt that my teachers in, in the in person here, especially one sitting in the back, is already tired of having to do all the things that she has to do when she goes to school. And my daughter is the same way, and all the kids. But they adapt. But they keep going on. It's a big deal. We can't have the church anymore do it all for us. And definitely not the staff, because we're not big enough to do that in the first place. The staff can't be the drivers of everything around here and what is going on. The fact is that you or I or this church can never accomplish the task of rebuilding until we take and unless we take personal responsibility for our part of our relationship with Jesus and being a part of this community beyond just the I. All I hear a lot of times is a bunch of I statements. I, 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 I. 
Instead, we need to be asking, what can we do? What do we want? What can we do for someone else? Instead of asking, what do I want? That's where it starts. It only takes one person to get the entire process of rebuilding started, whether it's in a home or at work or in the church, in a family. And Nehemiah decided to be that one person. I need you to become that one person. That one person who will make the difference, who will rebuild, who will come back together, who will start the process, who will consider the cost to be that one person that takes initiative and just takes that first step. Just takes that first step. And that, of course, requires one less step to get started right. And that is move out of your comfort zone. Probably the hardest. Say it with me. Move out of your comfort zone. You see, we all have a comfort zone. There are areas of life that we don't like to venture from, even in normal times. But even during these times, we have developed new comfort zones. Now hear me, especially those of you who are watching, I'm not talking about a level of risk that you're not comfortable with. I'm not talking about your health or your belief or your job or your family situation that impacts what you do about being in person and not being in person, all of that. I honor and value every person's decision in their setting. You're the expert. But there are others of us, myself included, where our new comfort zone can easily lead to complacency and a lack of commitment to anything beyond what we have to do. Believe me, I feel it. If I can get away with it, it's easy enough not to do something unless I have to do it. Because the have-tos nowadays are so hard. And the extra energy it takes just makes you not want to do any of the other things. I get it. But you see, for some of us, I can see that church can easily fall into that category in this day and time. It's not really important. I don't need to watch worship. I don't need to be a part of a small group. I don't need to try to serve people. I I don't need to come to events. I don't need to try to figure out how my kids are going to get back engaged or my youth or myself. It's been easy to stay at home and watch worship, and we designed it that way. It's a creation of our own. It became so easy that there's no movement to want to get out of it, especially the way it has to be in, in person right now. To Zoom with a small group. Or honestly, just not to do anything at all. In which case, those folks aren't watching anyways. They have no idea I'm talking about them. But we have several families who just haven't engaged with anything. You see, Nehemiah concluded the first chapter of his book. OS tells it with a final and seemingly benign sentence. It's so much so it's not even one of the verses. It's just tied at the end. It says, At that time I was a cupbearer to the king. Doesn't that sound impressive? No, it doesn't. It doesn't sound impressive at all, does it? Was he the dishwasher? Was he the busboy? 
This seems really out of place. But here's the thing that we don't know about this sentence. It sends the whole thing in the right place. The cupbearer at that time was in fact the king's most trusted confidant. See? He was constantly by the king's side. Nehemiah was the faithful counsel to the most important man in the land. Nehemiah had risen through the ranks all the way up. And this speaks to his character and his reputation. The point Nehemiah is making is that he had made it. He was fixed for life. He had a civil servant job with cushy benefits. And yet he was willing to move out of his cushy comfort zone in order to be an agent of rebuilding in Jerusalem. You see, in rebuilding whatever it is we want to rebuild... We'll have to move outside our self-imposed comfort zones because it's too easy to stay in the place that we are. Now what I'm saying is not to those of you that I mentioned above with the risks and the need to be at home, but to those of you who have already made the personal choice to send your kids to traditional school, hybrid as it might be right now, not virtual school like some have. To send your kids to church. We are as safe here in the things that we do for those kids as they are at school. Let them have a religious education too. And the ability for us to impact them and for their friends to gather. We successfully pulled off a camp with 20 students and all of the volunteers. And following a list of things, we passed 14 days and no one had any issues whatsoever. It can be done. If we're dutiful and we're committed and we come back together in those ways. And for those of you who are willing to go out into group activities like sports and playgrounds and outdoor concerts and events, come join our safely distanced outside events. They're no different. We need your presence in the church in the same way you're sharing your presence to the outside world. And for those of you who have no problem medically wearing a mask, but for the fact it's uncomfortable and we have to do it, I'm with you. But come join us in person and worship. You're safe here. You're safe from the door all the way through. We have plenty of space for everyone to spread out more than six feet. We have the ability to be able to say hi across the way. We have temperature checks. We have all the cleaning stuff. We've got everything. We need you to come back for those who are in that place. You see, it's more protected here than I guarantee you than any Walmart or Sam's or Target or Kroger or Publix or insert the name of the store you go to or restaurant you frequent. It's safer here. So the point I'm making is for those who are taking what you consider to be acceptable risks in other areas of your life, we need you to rebuild with us. We can't do it without you. The church is certainly more than a building. But there's a reason why we have a building. And why we have people gathered together at that building. Otherwise, we could do all of this online forever. If all we want to do is watch worship, connect with a small group, and give our money. We need each other physically to thrive and that contact. 
And for all the above-mentioned categories of risk, we are blessed to be able to continue to do all of this online. I'm grateful for all of that. And we want you to connect in all the virtual ways that make you be able to stay the safest without risk. But others of you, well, you know, you're actually out there more than I am. All I'm saying is, add the church back to your list of things that you do so we can come together and have some fun and see each other and do some things. I need you to come. We need you to come. The staff need you to come home. They are languishing. They need the interaction. I need the interaction. It won't be the same. I get that. But it can at least look a little bit like the same, with some of the same faces at least coming together. We can't keep doing this without some people gathered together in ministries here. We have to get started and rebuild with someone brick by brick. It's going to take a, wall, a long time before a wall gets built. But we can at least gather some bricks together and start stacking them up. To close, Jesus moved himself out of his comfort zone when he came from heaven and became flesh and walked among us, laid down his life, and he's still constantly calling us to leave our comfort zones and complacency and move further forward in the commitment following him in new ways. This is going to be a new way of following him. It's time to return to Jerusalem. It's time to return to Good Shepherd for those already returning to the other regular areas of their lives. You see, it's never too late for a new beginning. And we are all in need of a new beginning. Amen? We all need a restart. And I hope that you will consider the church to be a part of your restart as well. Amen. So we continue to pray Psalm 91 because we are not through this thing yet and we continue to pray for protection for everyone. And I just heard some more cases this week and different things that are happening and you see all the news as well as I do and we're praying for schools and we're praying for all those things and Psalm 91 is still the prayer protection. So let's say this psalm together in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the rest that comes when I choose to live in your shelter. I declare you alone are my refuge, my place of safety. You are my God. I trust in you. I pray you will protect me and my family from the virus. I pray you will cover me and shelter me. I thank you for your faithful promises that remind you will protect me. Help me not to be afraid of all that I hear and all that I see. Help me not to dread the virus that is terrorizing our world. Lord, many are sick and more are fearful and anxious. Pray protection for me, my family, my church, my community, my city, my state, my country, my continent, and my world. I pray, Lord, as I make you my refuge, that no evil will conquer us, nor come near our home. Pray protection by your angels wherever I go. Lord, I love you. I trust in you. Please rescue and protect me. Thank you for answering when I call. Thank you for being with me in trouble. Thank you for salvation and the hope of heaven. And everybody said, Amen. Now let us sit in the presence of God and soak in just whatever God is trying to say to us this morning.
go from here to face the celebrations and challenges of the coming week, remember this. The faithful love of God never ceases. It's inexhaustible. God's mercy and compassion is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. So go into this week ahead with courage and with joy. Trust in God and wait patiently for God to act. For God is good to all who seek Him and God's loving presence goes with us. May the blessings of God surround us. May angels and friends share our journey. May we be safeguarded, loved, and cherished. May we walk on holy ground. May people of faith inspire us. May wisdom and justice empower us. May we be wise and strong and creative. May we celebrate life and hope. May God's, God's image grow within us. May laughter and courage heal us. May the gospel of life sustain us all the days of our journey home until we gather again. And may the peace and comfort of Christ be present with you now and forevermore. Amen.